We love music at Christmas, do we not? Have you already been listening to Christmas music at home? Please raise your hands. Okay. Hope so. That's great, man. I love it. I love putting it on in my car, my office, wherever it is. I'm sure you do as well. It's just there's something about the music of Christmas that moves us. It reminds us of things that are true. It reminds us of, of something so mysterious and magical. It reminds us of a God who loves us. It reminds us that we got a lot of shopping to get done. Some of the things that it reminds us of. But it is, is good. Speaking of shopping, next week, right? Christmas shop. Next week, so a little different than our normal. If you're a visitor with us this morning, we're glad that you're here, but we want you to be fully aware, and please come back next week, but it's going to be a lot different than this because we have a Christmas shop that we invite the community in. Uh, we're going to talk more about details at the very end of this, but just remind, remind you of this. Uh, next week, a lot earlier start, the Christmas shop starts at nine. Uh, I'm not going to get into more details. That'll be talked about at the end of the service today. But please be buying gifts. We do need more gifts. I think for teen boys, we need more gifts for um, girls in the six to 12 range. Uh, we need more stocking stuffers. And I believe the last thing of a, of a text that I got is we just need more stuff. Last I heard, we have 67 children going into uh, into next week. That's the most we've ever had going into next week. So we could have more, who knows how many we have, about 100 hopefully, somewhere in that range. So we, we need to have more. I know that's uh, hard to say, but I mean, it's a good thing. And we're excited about that. So there's a lot of work to be done this week, a lot of praying to be do- doing this week. Because remember, this isn't about the gifts. It's about the conversations. It's about the encounters. It's about just loving people and encouraging people. That's what it's about. And uh, the gifts are just kind of a side note. So we hope you're planning on participating, volunteering. There's sheets in the back that remind you of that. We were captivated in the 80s by a royal. Um, Someone was different than all the royals before them of England. And she caught our attention, right? And I'm sure those that that are younger are going, who in the world are you talking about? Because, Because you have no connection with her. But those that are a little bit older would remember Princess... See, listen, that, wow, you all knew exactly what I was talking about. Uh, yes, it's, she was captivated by the world. Both sides of the pond fell in love with her because she wasn't your typical royal. She didn't live the way the other royals did. As a matter of fact, she lived in a castle. Yes, she, she had all this prim and pauper, but she didn't know that there was a real world outside of those walls. She knew that there were people who needed hope, needed to be identified, people that felt like they, they meant nothing to be elevated to a a place of value. She was a hands-on woman. That was one thing different of the world. As a matter of fact, so much hands-on that she was one of the first to be mom to her kids, meaning there weren't nannies. She, I gave birth to these kiddos. I'm going to raise these kiddos. And she basically was hands-on with those kids, and she raised them. As a matter of fact, they were the first children ever, I don't know if you know this or not, uh, uh, that went to public school. They didn't go to private school. They didn't have tutors come in. They basically got dressed, got in their uniforms, and marched off to school just like every other boy did at that, at that period of time. And, and still, very, very common that that was a part of her world. Her, her royal, she, she lowered herself down a level. She didn't have this certain protocol that would be kept. As a matter of fact, when she was around children, uh, that she would literally get down on their level, and, and they would climb onto her and she, because she wouldn't look into their eyes. But all the other royals before her, when they went to children, it was always this and prim and and everybody had their decorum that they had to keep, but not with Princess Diana. She got down on their level. She was hands-on and didn't mind actually getting her hands actually quite dirty. As a matter of fact, even risking her life in order to promote 
uh, certain causes that are around the world. There, there was a period of time where in Angola, that there were mines still in the minefields. And basically, she took a crew and a camera crew in order to bring awareness to the nations that she actually walked across a partially cleared minefield. She put her own life at risk. It was in 19, uh, later on, 1987, that she shook hands with an HIV patient and actually went to Brazil, uh, to Brazil to, to engage orphans that had AIDS. Now, in the, in the 1980s, these were all unknowns. People, I mean, HIV, everybody, the common person would not even engage in that way. She was known to say this. She would say, HIV does not make people dangerous to know. So you can shake their hands and give them a hug. Heaven knows they need to. She was the first royal who had in her mind, mindful of the people, and the people fell in love with her. But the, the question rises with her. And, and why would a royal be mindful of the people. Why? And actually, I think that's the question of Christmas. Why would God be mindful of us? Why would a holy God who's set apart, why would he care so much to come to this earth? Why would it matter to him? Why would he love us so much that he would come down? Why does this even matter? A God who is holy, a God who could come and engage the unholy. Why would God come to the earth to look us in the eyes and to tell us that he loves us and to show how much he loves us by going to the cross? Psalm 8 is a great text when verses 3 and 4 say, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Have you ever wondered about that in the early morning or late at night when you looked at the stars? God, why, why are you mindful of me? You see, out of all of this, the, the reality of Christmas is God is, is burst into this world to declare his love and his care for us. Jesus came into the common. He came from the royalty into the common. He took on flesh and was born just like you were born, like I was born. He, he went through the childbirth process. Jesus was being born in, not into the royalty, though, not into something that was privileged, but rather into a young nobody, young lady. Have you ever stopped about, thought about that? He, he didn't come to this earth and born into the, the richness of our world or the politically powerful of this world. He came and was, it was, was born through Mary who was an unknown, who lived in a little unknown village in a nation that wasn't powerful and strong but one that was actually under captivity. This was how Jesus came to us. I'm sure Mary that day was any other day. I mean, who knows what she was about and what she was doing that day when Gabriel came to her and said, hey, hi, I got some news from you. Can you imagine that day? Put yourself in her shoes at that moment, how your world would get turned upside down. Oh, by the way, you're gonna become pregnant through the Holy Spirit, and uh, even though you've never been with a man, and you're gonna give, have a virgin birth of the Son of God. That would kind of rock my world. That would kind of upset all the plans that you would think, well, wait, 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 I haven't planned for this. I haven't thought about this. I'm not even married. I'm engaged to Joseph. What's he going to do? What are my parents going to do? And in the midst of all this turmoil, she became overwhelmed with just joy of this opportunity that God chose her, that God looked at her and said, it's you that I will bless, and it's you that will become the mother of my son. 
I don't know about you, but that's a lot of responsibility. And that's why Mary breaks out in this song, Luke chapter 1. If you have your Bibles this morning, open up to Luke chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 46 through 55. Look it up on your phone. It's going to be up on the screen behind me. We encourage you to follow along in God's word as we get this song that Mary sings. Now, she is visiting her cousin Elizabeth, who as well, uh, later on in her year, she's not a young woman. She's an older woman. And matter of fact, God says, I'm going to give you a child happens to be John the Baptist, who comes and plays a major role in the first part of the Gospels. And here, when Mary comes to Elizabeth, and Elizabeth all of a sudden, through the Spirit, realizes that, she is, that Mary is carrying the Son of God, Mary breaks out into this beautiful song. Follow along. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. What a song. Matter of fact, this song is mostly taken. These are mostly quotes from the Old Testament, bits and pieces in different places. Part of them out of Hannah's song, out of 1 Samuel. We see the song, it's called the Magnificat. It's magnifying, that this song is about magnifying who God is. In this moment, Mary isn't really showing her own light. She is wanting to reveal to all those who are here this magnificence of God and what he is doing and what he has done, especially at a time when you would want to keep it hush-hush. Because remember, she's not married yet. And in that culture, to be pregnant outside of wedlock would actually be for some to be stoned and be killed. So there was a reason to keep things like really, really quiet. But not Mary. She wanted to sing. She wanted God to be known. It was her goal that God would be known for what he has done and what he was doing and what God would do through the nation. And it's important for us to, to, keep, to, to see here what Mary is really singing about. The first thing is this, that God's mercy on Mary's own life. She starts in revealing her own nature. As a matter of fact, how wonderful he is. And she declares the greatness of God's work. The greatest work that she knew of was the, her, her own salvation. Notice that he, she refers to him as the Savior. She knew in her heart and her soul and her spirit that, that she needed saved. And her heart and soul were captivated by God, her Savior. Her Redeemer, the one that would set things right, the one who would, would cleanse her from her own sins and set her free, for she knew she needed a Redeemer, and she was grateful for that Redeemer. She knew that he would be able to pay the price of what she herself could not pay. The same thing in her own heart. She needed to trust in the Lord for, his, for her eternal salvation. But not only did she celebrate the salvation that she came to know through this process, but also to the fact that she had been chosen. There would be something like that. It would be, in my mind, it would be like, are you, you sure you got the right person? <laughs> are you sure, you sure you're not two doors down? Are you sure you don't have some other woman, some other time, some other generation, some other family line, some other person? Surely, God, you have this in mind because, you see, God chooses differently. 
I, I think of choices. I haven't been in, in PE, physical education, for a long time, and I even know in Indiana, when I say PE, a lot of you go, What's, what in the world is physical education? What is that? What is that? But you know, used to, in sports, you used to have, you know, pick teams, right? How many of you were ever picked last on a team? Sweet. How many of you were picked first? Raise them up. Be proud. There you go. I applaud you. I never was picked first. You know, I was always the last person. Because what, in our minds, what do we do? When we pick on a sports for a game, we pick the best. We pick the best athlete. We pick the tallest. We pick the strongest. We pick whatever. And then eventually gets down to those at the very end. And you're like, oh, I know. Just, it's, I'm always at the end. Like, we, don't, we, don't, we don't think that. We, we, we th- this is what I love about God. Because when God chooses somebody, he doesn't go to the front of the line the way we and man go to the front of the line. He goes at the back of the line. He looks for the heart of the person. He looks for the strength of the person, of their character and their heart. And in Mary's choice here, he, he, he chose someone that is totally different. Paul writes to the Corinthian church to describe how God chooses in this way. In the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, verses 27 and 29, when he says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And that was Mary's heart. Mary wasn't boasting, oh, he chose me. Mary was overwhelmed that he chose him, but overwhelmed because of his glory and his power and his holiness that why would such a holy God choose someone so unknown, so unworthy, so so lowly from this small little village, and we often wonder ourselves, would God choose me? A lot of Christians feel like I've become a Christian, but God's really cho- never chosen me to do anything for him. I'm gonna disagree with you. As a matter of fact, if God has called you to follow him, he has called you to do something wonderful, to glorify him, to magnify him. God has called you and chosen you in order that you may be used. God is mindful of you. This world wants to minimize that no one pays attention to us. That's why social media is so big, right? Because our heart wants to be known. We want somebody to know us. But even with social media, it seems like no one really does know us. And and, and why would God be mindful of us? And Mary reminds us that, listen, God is fully mindful of us. And you don't have to be royal. You don't have to to be the best but simply looking, God is looking for someone who will make themselves available to him, humble before him. Mary knew that God not only chose her, but he was working on her behalf, working. Sometimes it's hard to see what God's doing. Would you agree? You pray a lot, you pray a lot, you pray a lot, and you don't see anything. Have you ever been there before in your life? Have you ever been that way in your journey? Like, man, I got, I'm doing this prayer thing, but I'm just not seeing anything. God, what are you doing and it's hard because that's the season where it takes faith that I trust that God hears me. He's mindful of me. I believe that with my whole heart. But that not only is he listening, but he's actually doing things that I can't see. He's working in ways I don't understand. That in one day, those things may become realities that I, I only wished would become realities. Because God is working in ways I cannot understand nor can I fathom. Isaiah talks about this, about our God who works in ways that are not expected. And he, he adds this in verse 64, verse 4. It said, and who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You see, that waiting is not in a distance as if God's not doing anything. There's, there's two different types of waiting, right? I can wait and go about my business and forget that, that somebody's there. 
But the way this is described, that he's waiting for him. In other words, it's like a small child looking out the window for daddy to come home or mommy to come home. They're waiting, but they're waiting with their face pointed towards where they're coming from. Does that make it, does it you get the picture? Do you get that image? That does my heart, am I facing the right direction? Am I facing God? Am I waiting? Or am I back turned to him and looking somewhere else? Because it's in that waiting that we develop faith and we begin to keep our eyes focused and we look. And then when God does work and he does do something, we see it too many times, our back is turned. And so when God does something, we are so preoccupied that we don't even see it. And then we get even angrier because of what we have not seen and not because of what God has not done. And so it's important for us in our lives to believe as Mary believed, this faith of Mary and her words warned us, who warned us about how God works because we all think God works the way the world works. The, the, the God, the, the world, you know, the favored, the smartest, the best. And I've already read that scripture, but to see it's a common mistake because God is great, but he's not always partial to great men. And because God is exalted we think that maybe he favors what is exalted on this earth, but it's actually the opposite. God's holiness is played out. God's holiness is expressed and is expressed in itself in the lowly and in, in, in those that find themselves with their face turned to God, not to the proud, but to the humble. That's the song of Mary. And Mary knew that God was working on her behalf and he's for the underdog. Think about the Christmas story, the underdog. Who would be the underdog? Well, you got a long list of underdogs. Mary's an underdog. Joseph, he's a carpenter. Can you imagine trusting the Son of God to a carpenter? The shepherds, a stable. That's the story of Christmas. But the mercy was not only shown to Mary, and Mary not only sings about the mercy that's been poured on to her, but she sings about the mercy that's been poured on to us. Family Christmas gifts. You know, a lot of times, you know, everybody looks under the gifts, right? You're looking for your name. Like, this is my gift, my gift. And I get this, well, my gift is, you get to unwrap it. Have you ever done a family, anybody given or received a family Christmas gift? That has a little bit different response. It's usually the big gift. I remember getting a ping pong table. Well, I didn't get the ping pong table. The family got the ping pong table. Do you notice the difference? Here's this gift, but the gift wasn't for the individual. The gift was for the whole. The gift was for everybody. And that's what's so wonderful about Mary's song is the gift is of mercy is for everybody. Notice how she changes here and starts talking about those, those characteristics, those that God notices and has given attention to that he's, he's loved upon. He talks about those who fear the Lord, those who are mindful of the Lord, those who are humble. This is a repeated theme that Mary uses here, this humble who live in submission and anticipate what God is doing. Those that are hungry, they'll be blessed, they'll be given life. They'll be, they'll be given hope. They'll be fed. They'll be invited to God's table that they were, they will hunger no more. This is the promise of Christmas. This is the promise of Jesus. That for all who feel like we wander like sheep without a shepherd, Jesus says, I am the son of God and I will lead you and love you and provide for you. The coming of Jesus turns everything upside down. I truly believe that then and I believe it now the weak are dethroned, the, the humble are, are, are the, the scattered, the, the proud are scattered. Nobody's become somebody's. I love what Jesus does in the life of people because our God's not partial to wealth or to powerful or to the proud. He can't be bought off. Rather, our God, our God 
loves the heart that seeks him honestly and openly. He has mercy on them. But not only on us, but on the nation. He talks at the very end there about what God does for the nations, for Israel himself. You know, I'm sure you raise your kids to, to keep a promise, right? Have you, do you have, um, if there is a child in your home that is the promise keeper, do you know what I'm saying? He's the one that you've, he or she, you've taught that, you know, you, when you say something, you do it. And they've learned that so well that they are like radar police to any promise that you slightly make to them. You know what I'm talking about? It's like, you, you promise? And they don't like, they don't forget like in an hour that promise. They don't forget like in two days that promise. It can be months behind. And like, you promised you would take us to so-and-so. You promised you would do this. And they remember that promise, even though you have forgotten, even though everybody else in the family has forgotten, they've remembered. That is the tenacity of God when it comes to his promise. Because God promised Abram that he, through him, all nations would be blessed. God promised all the way back from the beginning that the Redeemer would come and would save the sins of the world. God promised the people of humanity, generations upon generations. And no one would have known. No one would have said, did God, I don't know if God promised that. But God knew. And because he's a holy God, he kept that promise. He, he, he fulfilled it fully in his son, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth to die on the cross and buried in three days, raised again in order that we may have everlasting life. His mercy was to a nation that could have been forgotten and overwhelmed by Rome and destroyed in rubble that we would never speak of again. And yet it is a nation that still exists today. God's mercy is upon the nations. God's mercy is upon us and God's mercy is upon Mary. And because of that, we celebrate a Christmas of where God is merciful to us. He does not give to us what we deserve. I'm so grateful for that. So grateful to that. So, so what is our response to this song? How do we join in in singing this chorus? How do we live a life that comes alongside of Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit? And in this world, in our time today, it begins with this. Her heartbeat in singing this song was to magnify God. My question to us today is, do we live lives that magnify God? And when I talk about magnify, it means make him known, make him revealed. It means put the focus in on God and not on ourselves. Do we live in a way where God is magnified, is made known? Is my household, if you had another neighbor kid come in and hang out with you for a few days, would they know in your household it's a place where people love God? Would, would your coworkers know that you work and you seek God's wisdom and truth in your workplace, that you, you seek his strength when, when you're tired? That, would your friends that you have in this world know that you know God? Would you, would you live a life that magnifies them? Would your neighbors next door to you that you may see on occasion, do you live in a way that magnifies the Savior and his redemption and his hope? Do we magnify him in all that he is? Does any part of our life magnify and bring focus on Christ? Because let me tell you something, the world is looking for something to help them, and everything else in this world cannot help them at all except for Jesus Christ. And Christmas is, our, is, is, is a universally accepted time to speak of God. Have you noticed? You have a month that the world says it's okay to talk about Jesus. Church, should we not take advantage of it for more than just a month? 
Should our conversations not rise up and speak of the Redeemer? So ask God today, this Christmas season, Father, may our heart, my, my heart sing and magnify you. Two, trust in a holy God. It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to trust in God with your life and everything that you are. Mary trusted God. She, in her own heart, knew that she had to trust him. Everything was, you imagine how out of control your, her life felt at that moment? Totally, 100% out of control. And a lot of times we feel that same way and we gotta trust God. We're not sheep without a shepherd. We do have a God who is mindful of us. And I love how Elizabeth describes Mary in verse 45 of Luke chapter one when, when she says this about Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promise to her. Mary's faith trusted in something that was unusual. A virgin birth? How could I be pregnant? How can this happen? And yet God was gonna work through her and in her. She would mend this relationship with Joseph that would become estranged because, because she was pregnant. He was working to guard and to protect them wherever they went before he was born. After he was born, God was working in ways to guard and protect. And we too have to realize and look and see how God is working in us and trust him. He's working. He will continue to work. And we need to be, we, we wait and to be patient. And the third thing is simply this. Humble yourself. I don't know if you read back through that song again, but if you keep reading it, humility is a key phrase of her own heart and of her own people, of who God, who God raises up. It's not this fake humility. It's this real humility knows that my heart needs God. My heart pursues God. Jesus teaches in Matthew 23, verse 11, these words. He says, the greatest among you will be your servant. For those who will be exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Folks, I, I don't know about you, but my pride gets in the way all the time. And I gotta beat it down with a big stick. And I gotta confess it. Because I want my heart to learn how to be submissive to a holy God that trusts him to lead. To trust that he knows what's best for me. That we have one that I entrust who came from the heavens, the royal, the true royal, left the heavenly realms to come walk with us, to journey with us. He came to look us in the eyes and to say to you and to say to me, I love you, I will die for you, and I will live again for you so that you can come be with me. Let's pray. Father, today we thank you for the blessing of life in your word. Father, may Mary's song remind us to magnify you. Father, let us humbly come before you. Forgive us, Father, when we have pridefully lived our life with our backs turned to you. So, Father, let us turn and face you. Let us, by faith, trust you. For you are a God who keeps his promises. And so, Father, let us live by faith. Let us live by love. In Jesus' name.